Hello, family. Good to be with you. You know, when the gospel writers tell us that Jesus came preaching about the kingdom of God, they are assuming that Jesus' uh, worldview was shared by the readers. And a big part of that worldview was this idea of spiritual conflict. Jesus' entire ministry takes place in a world where Satan has illegitimately taken control, and he's broken in and taking it back. Uh, one scholar says this, The kingdom of God, as Jesus uses the term, refers to nothing other than his ministry and the ministry he gave his disciples of setting up God's rule where previously there had been Satan's rule. So not surprisingly, Satan resists Jesus at every turn. And if you go through the Gospels, you can kind of see that. Uh, Herod tries to destroy the baby Jesus. There's the grueling temptation in the desert. Then, of course, all the demonic uh, interactions. And then ultimately the cross. But each time, Jesus, our Lord, triumphs. Well, the kingdom of God... Uh, it continues to be expressed and advanced um, after Jesus's resurrection and ascension through the church. And Acts records that ongoing struggle for us. And what do we see? Um, Satan resisting the church again. And we see this very clearly in the opening chapters of the book of Acts. You know, if you've ever been a part of a startup business or a new church uh, or a new school, you know that uh, those are very vulnerable times, um, and it, it almost seems like uh, the enemy strategically tries to crush these new startups, and apparently that's what he does here in, in this story. Uh, chapter 4 is a glowing report uh, of how well the new community is doing. Everyone's of one heart and soul, Luke says. The apostles are ministering with great power. Possessions are shared as needs arise. Uh, there's no needy among them. You know, it's just like perfection. But Luke is a pretty honest historian, and uh, he wants us to know that they had their share of problems too. And so uh, here comes Satan. He kind of slothers onto the stage here, and uh, he knows what he's doing. This is a very vulnerable startup, and he wants to, uh, you know, corrupt it, destroy it before it starts. And we're really looking now at one of the most um, critical moments in the history of the church. Um, so what kind of assault will Satan hurl at the Jerusalem congregation? You know, government persecution? That's a good one. Well, that comes later. Uh, demonic uh, possession? That'll come later. Uh, satanic worship, idolatry? That'll come later. Uh, but actually, his first... Uh, and maybe his most favorite strategy isn't as sexy as all that. It's um, it's deception. He influences a couple to lie. And that should not surprise us, right? He is the great deceiver. Um, we see him doing that all through Scripture, Genesis 3. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, deception. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So at the very beginning, and I think Luke may uh, kind of want us to have this story in mind as we read Acts 5, uh, Satan has been trying to deceive God's people from the very beginning and cause them to be deceptive as a way to uh, disrupt the, the kingdom of God. 
Jesus says in John 8, 44, you are your father, you're the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He, that's the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So this is kind of Satan's bread and butter. And Lord, just even want to stop right here and just remind ourselves, even as we talk about Satan, that Jesus Christ has defeated Satan at the cross. And I pray that authority and protection over everyone who's listening to this and over my family and my house, we walk in the authority of the risen Christ who made a public spectacle of Satan at the cross. And we walk not in fear, but in confidence. Here's Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So his ministry is to deceive the whole world. So the deceiver slithers around the outside of this little fledgling church looking for an opening. He sees this radical generosity going on. People are even selling land and giving the money away, and this joyful sacrificial giving sickens him, he being the god of scarcity and fear. Uh, but then he sees an opportunity. He notices a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, we don't know a lot about them, their character. Their names are Hebrew names. Um, Ananias means the Lord is gracious. Sapphira means beautiful. They just seem to be normal uh, Jewish people that have decided to follow the Messiah. We do know that Peter, speaking under the influence of the Spirit, has some pretty hard things to say. He asks Ananias, he says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? The serpent has bitten its prey. Luke doesn't tell us many details. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, on the surface, this doesn't seem like a huge deal. Uh, in our context, it, it might look like this. You know, we're moving into our new building next year. Uh, we're going to have some renovation to do. Uh, we'll obviously have to raise some money for this. So let's say Bob and Carol Smith decide to sell a rental property they have in Park Ridge for $100,000. Fair deal. Then they write a check for $50,000 to the church building fund. Uh, they write a note that says, we've sold our rental property for $50,000 and uh, we've Given the proceeds to the All Souls Building Fund. Love the church. Love you all. Thanks. Bob and Carol. Well, I mean, is that all that bad? Uh, I'd take the 50000 um, Couldn't Satan come up with a more spectacular sin than this? Maybe some embezzlement or an affair or something like that? I mean, what's the big deal? Well, apparently it's a big deal. Peter questions Ananias. While it remained unsold, didn't it remain your own? In other words, you didn't have to sell it. And after it was sold, was it not at your own disposal? Once you sold it, you didn't have to give all the proceeds away. So the sin here is not a failure to be generous. The sin was deception. Why have you contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Ananias has lied. And the punishment is harsh and swift. 
When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. I bet it did. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And then three hours later, his wife Sapphira is brought in. Peter said to her, tell me whether or not you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, huh, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? She also is participating in the deception. The punishment is equally swift. Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They're going to carry you out now. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Well, granted, uh, the story is, is troubling. It, it's not a model of how God normally works. Uh, it doesn't ever happen like this again in the New Testament. Peter himself, a few months earlier, had lied about his relationship to Jesus. Jesus forgave and restore him. That seems much more like the, the norm in the New Testament church. Peter doesn't lead this way anymore. Soon we see a, a collaborative approach with teams of elders. Uh, Peter, uh, Paul's letters to the churches talk about you know reconciliation and forgiveness and, and all these good things. So we don't look at this uh, story as a normative or prescriptive about how we should deal with sin, thank God, or we'd all be in trouble. But there's a reason why it's here, and there's a very important lesson in the story, and I think it's that deception destroys. Uh, deception destroys the person deceiving, and deception destroys the community where it's happening. And so God acts swiftly at the beginning to uh, protect the fledgling startup from uh, the satanic attack of deception. Well, now, what leads Annas and Sapphira to be deceivers, to lie? Um, of course, the text doesn't tell us everything. We, we get the impression that it was premeditated. Meditated. It, it seems like uh, they'd already decided on this beforehand. We do know that from the last verses of chapter 4 that Barnabas uh, a popular and respected church leader had just sold the land, given the proceeds to the church. And so it seems that Ananias and Sapphira had seen that, seen maybe people praising Barnabas, and they think, you know, we want to be as seen as generous leaders too. We just don't want to give that sacrificially. And so, so they come up with a subtle lie that makes them, right, appear to be more generous than they are. And that, you know, I think we're getting close to the heart of deception here. It's, it's making ourselves look better than or we really are, or presenting ourselves in a way that's not congruent with who we, we really are. Um, after a conversation once, I realized that I'd, exag that I'd lied. I'd exaggerated about how little sleep I was getting in a conversation with a, with a man. Now, why did I do that? Well, the man that I was talking with works very, very hard, and he's very successful, and I wanted him to respect me, and I knew that he uh, valued a great work ethic. So I made it look like I was working longer into the night than I really was. And you might think, well, that's no big deal. Jesus can forgive that. True, but let's dig a little deeper. What does the lie tell me about myself? Well, for one thing, 
at least that day, it tells me I wasn't really comfortable with my true self uh, because my true self needs seven or eight hours sleep and my friend needs about five. And um, I tried to present myself as uh, something other than, than I am. I was not secure enough in who God made me to be to describe honestly my need for sleep. It also tells me that I compare myself to determine my, my self-worth um, it's not wrong, right, to need eight hours of sleep, but somewhere along the way, I started to value highly productive people that um, could get by in five, and I realized that I was comparing myself to that standard instead of just accepting how God made me. Let me give a another uh, more dangerous answer, <clears throat> perhaps. Um, I've realized that many times I don't share what I really think, uh, especially about a, a controversial issue. Now, I think sometimes that's appropriate for a pastor who wants to be a peacemaker, um, who, who, and honestly, uh, I'm not an expert in everything. I don't have opinions on everything and don't need to, but uh, so sometimes it is good to not share and to listen. I think that's appropriate. But recently I've realized that even with a, a, say a close friend who has a history of caring for me, I don't share what I really think about controversial issues. And um, I think it's because I don't like to disagree with people and I don't like conflict. So often I just listen, but I, I'm realizing even that can be a form of deception. I'm not really letting my friend know who I am and consider what's lost when I deceive this way. My friend doesn't get the opportunity to truly know me. I don't get the opportunity to be truly known. I don't get feedback on my point of view. My friend doesn't get his own point of view challenged. And worst of all, my, my friend and I don't get an opportunity to deepen our relationship. Uh, M. Scott Peck, the psychiatrist, wrote uh, a book about community years ago, and he he said there were four stages uh, that a community went through to become a true community. Pseudo-community, chaos, brokenness, and true community. A friendship needs to go through chaos to get to true community. But when I deceive my friends of uh, what I truly think or believe by staying silent, I force us to stay in the shallow waters of pseudo-community. I want to tell a story now. This is... This is a composite of a number of stories um, that I've sadly been a part of over the years. It's true, but it's a composite. So I want to protect the anonymity of all these folks, but uh, all of this has happened. Um, uh, a wife of a friend called me and said, I think my husband's having an affair. And uh, she had some evidence for it. She had emails and some other things. And, so I went, I knew the husband and I met with him and I essentially said, are you having an affair? And he denied it uh, passionately. And um, well, as usually happens, um, things came out, he was caught and um, eventually came to me and apologized. And as often happens, um, he uh, has a sexual addiction and had been acting out for years and in hiding for years and finally had um, gotten caught. 
it's interesting looking back. I, uh, I didn't know what he was doing, but I did notice that he seemed to continually be withdrawing from the people that knew him best and moving away from things that really helped his soul. Now, he did go into recovery, and um, today is very focused on his marriage and his walk with God. Well, let's think about that story for a moment. What? Why wouldn't the man tell someone that he was struggling with this addiction? And I think that's a really important part of this, and I think Satan has a heyday with this. I think it's because of shame, because like in our story, he wanted to appear like something that he was not, um, and uh, led him to hide some pretty dark secrets in his life really became a lie for a while. Um, but when he when he chose to stop hiding with his family, well, actually started with a recovery group and, uh, you know, with his close friends, um, there was chaos, let me tell you. But on the other side of it, uh, a lot of rich relationship. And uh, he's a different man today. He's a very spiritual man, very godly man. So, we we just have this tendency to want to hide um, what's going on in us, um, to deceive, to present an image of uh, other than who we truly are, and it deception destroys. It destroys us and it destroys the community that we love. You know, we're all familiar with the great deception stories of the Bernie Bernie Madoffs who deceive hundreds out of their life savings, and we think, you know, I'm not doing that. But most forms of deception, I think, are far more mundane, far more subtle. You never make a movie about them. But they're just little ways that we, we're not true to ourselves. We're not presenting our true self. We are hiding. We are covering up who we really are. Um, we present a, a false self to the world. Um, I think of a, of a song that came out years ago. Uh, by a group called Five for Fighting, and I think it was called Superman or It's Not Easy. Um, it reminds me a little bit about um, this tendency we have to hide and not share our true self. I can't stand to fly. I'm not that naive. I'm just out to find the better part of me. I'm more than a bird. I'm more than a plane. I'm more than some pretty face beside a train. And it's not easy to be me. I wish that I could cry, fall upon my knees, find a way to lie about a home I'll never see. It may sound absurd, but don't be naive. Even heroes have the right to bleed. I may be disturbed, but once you concede, even heroes have the right to dream. And it's not easy to be me. Up, up and away, away from me. Well, it's all right. You can all sleep sound tonight. I'm not crazy or anything. I can't stand to fly. I'm not that naive. Men weren't meant to ride with clouds between their knees. I'm only a man in a silly red sheet. I'm not exactly sure uh, why that song kind of gurgled up in me as I was meditating on this text, but Maybe it's because, like Ananias and Sapphira, we often feel pressured to present ourselves as superwomen or supermen um, when who we are inside is something very different. 
And I, I wonder if the reason for the harsh and swift judgment in this unnerving story is just to, just to remind us that even in those small ways that we are pretending to be someone we're not, there's a way in which we're destroying ourselves and, um, and others. So a couple of questions for you as we come to a close here. Where are you deceiving people? Um, where are you presenting yourself different than you really are? Where are you hiding? Where are you silencing your true self? Why do you keep presenting your false self to the world? What are you losing by doing this? What might happen if you live more truthfully? What might happen if you wrote in your true voice? What might happen if you dressed the way you wanted to dress? What might happen if you moved towards a career that truly reflected who you are? What might happen if you were more honest in your marriage? What might happen if you were more honest with your children? What might happen if you were more honest with your friends? Judgment falls swiftly for Ananias and Sapphira. Um, but one of the elders who was probably present that day, James, the brother of the Lord, many years later would, would kind of give the vaccine to the virus of deception, uh, which really can infect the whole community. And I think that's what Satan was trying to do. Uh, James 5, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I think that's the antidote to deception is to have a, a place, several friends, a friend where you can confess even the small things, the, the exaggerations, the lies, um, the, the ways that you're just not really being truthful about who you are. And, uh, you know, those things can start small and snowball. So just really encourage you this week to make sure you have a place and a friend where you can um, be honest about things that you're hiding, ways that you are presenting yourself that aren't really true. And just confess that and you'll be healed.